The message is eternal, and we find that in 1 John chapter 3. Would you turn back to that text that we read earlier, 1 John chapter 3. And we are continuing this series of messages through this wonderful epistle, 1 John, which reminds us of the great truth and love that we find in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Charles Wesley's brother John were just amazed by the love of Christ. And they found that love changes everything. Love changes everything. And that is what John wants us to see. This is the epistle of love. 51 times John mentions love in this letter. 51 times. But he is absolutely clear that when the love of God truly comes into a person's heart, that love changes everything. Wouldn't you agree with that? That love changes everything. And I want you to notice as we are having this time in the Word and we're preparing our hearts for communion that John mentions there are three things that are changed, completely changed through the love of Christ our Lord when it is poured out into our hearts. And that's how he describes it, you see, in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. And that, that phrase, what kind of there, it is, it's a word that means admiration and amazement at the same time. It's a very rare word translated there. Admiration and amazement. What kind of love, indescribable love, has the Father bestowed upon us, or that is, it says, given to us, which it means actually lavished upon us. It's a love that's not given by God begrudgingly. It's just lavished on us. That we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The first thing that love changes is it changes our identification. It changes our identification. Let me tell you who you are. You are who God says you are. And who are we if we believe in Jesus? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and so we are. This verse, perhaps like none other in the New Testament, describes what it means to be born again. To be born of God. It means not just a reformation in your lifestyle. It means more than recovery. It even means more than renewal. It means a regeneration, a new birth where we partake of a brand new life. God's love in Christ in our life changes everything, changes our identification because we've been loved by God. This love has been lavished on us. It's, it's undeserved. It's unmerited. You, you can do nothing to make God love you. His love is, is gracious love. It's lavished upon us as rebel sinners through Christ. It's a gift, a free gift. The gift of God's love. And with His love that brings new life to us, we have a new identity. You see, we are called the children of God. 
And, and that's not just a term. That's not a term that we use to describe ourselves. This is not just a title. This is a new reality. John says, and that is who we are. Imagine that we should be called the children of God and that is who we really are. If you are a believer, that is your identity. Your identity is not what you think about yourself or what you feel about yourself. Your identity is what God says about you. And God says that if you believe in Jesus, you are born again and you are his child. That's your identity. God's love for us in Christ produces a brand new identification. But now notice, look again at verse 1. When you have a brand new identification, it also produces something else. You're going to experience that it brings a brand new alienation. You're not who you used to be. And people recognize you're not who you used to be. And the world is not holding a pep rally. Now we are the children of God, he says. And this is the reason the world does not know us. He's talking about the world system. The world system that we're not to love in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. He says this is the reason the world system does not love us and does not know us because it did not know him. You see, the word know here means not just to recognize, but it means to recognize and receive. Jesus was recognized, but he was not received. The Bible says in John chapter 1, John wrote that, that he came into the world he came into his own things as the creator and his own people did not what? Did not receive him. John says this is, this is an axiom. This is a self-evident truth. That if the world did not receive the king, then the world is not going to receive the king's kids either. That's a self-evident truth. If the world did not receive the king, and if we are children of the king, then the world is not going to receive us. And we might as well recognize and understand that. You see, to be qualified by God's grace, to be qualified by God's grace and to become a child of God, to be accepted by him, to be qualified by God and accepted means you will be disqualified by the world and rejected. This is a week that we celebrate our nation's birth and how sad it is for many of us. And who could have imagined that there would come a day in our, in our nation? When it would be actually believed that to be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ would disqualify you from public service. Not qualify you, but disqualify you. If you don't believe that is true in this day and age, I encourage you, run for office. 
Be truly a follower of Jesus. Come before our Congress for any nomination whatsoever. And let your testimony of your faith in Jesus be known and see if you will be qualified or disqualified. Well, friend, listen. To be disqualified by the world should not make us angry, though. It is a badge of honor because our Savior has left us this pattern that we should follow in his steps. The, if the world rejected the king, the re, world's going to reject the king kids, king's kids. And notice, love does this. Why are you rejected? Why do we not fit in me anymore? Because we're loved by God the Father. You're, you're not rejected because of you personally, but if you follow the Lord and you truly are led of his spirit by that new nature within you, you will be rejected because of the love the Father has for you. Love changes everything. It produces a new identification and it produces a new alienation. We just don't fit in the world anymore. But I should say, we don't fit into this world anymore, right? Because the best is yet to come. This world's not the real world. This world is the illusion. This world is the false reality. The true world, the true kingdom, is the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And we are citizens of a new kingdom. Our name is written in the citizenship role of heaven, the Lamb's book of life. That's our home. And that makes us anticipate the world to come. And that's what love does for us. Love changes everything. It gives us a new identification. And notice, if you would, verse number two, it gives us a brand new anticipation. Brings a brand new anticipation. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet Appeared. Now notice those three words there in the English Standard Version on the screen. Now and not yet. Beloved, we are God's children now. Mark that. And what we will be has not yet appeared. The reformers used to say that we as believers live in this already not yet tension. We already have been saved by God's grace. We already are the children of God by his love. We already are declared righteous. We're justified, but we're not yet all that we're going to be. We're not yet there. And so we live in this already not yet and it's not yet appeared what we will be. This is who we are, the children of God, right now. But what will we be? And we look forward to that. It's a reality and process. You see, there's a process going on in your life if you're a Christian. There's a process. What is God's process? It's working out His purpose. What's God's purpose in saving someone? What's God's purpose in making a person a child 
of God in Christ. What's his purpose? You say, well, to, so that I can go to heaven. No, no, that's not the ultimate purpose. That's the, an outcome, but that's not the ultimate purpose. You see, we're told what God's purpose is. Paul told us in Romans, this is a purpose that God foreknew us in eternity past. This is the purpose that God predestined us. This is the purpose for which God called us to life. This is the purpose for which we are justified. What's the purpose? That he might conform us to the image of his son. That's the purpose of God. And that's the process. See, the process is the working out of God's purpose. God the Father is making his children more like his son. That's the process. God the Father is making us his, as His children more like His Son. And so what is it that we anticipate? We anticipate the process being fulfilled in our glorification. That's what we anticipate, our glorification. Beloved, verse 2, we are God's children now. And what we will be is not yet appeared. Now here comes our glorification. But we know that when he appears, that's Jesus. When he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. That is the glorification of every child of God. To be like him and to see him. Face to face, to be with him. That is the glorification that's ahead for us. To be like him. To be what? To be his real image bearers. Why did God create human beings? He created human beings, Adam and Eve, in his image and in his likeness. So that they could reflect his glory in this world. But the two image bearers, Adam and Eve, sinned. They rebelled and they ruined the image. God's image is still on us as Adam and Eve's children, but it's marred by sin. But God made a plan through his second image bearer, his son, Jesus Christ, to come and to pay for the rebellion of the first image bearers and all of their children by taking upon himself the punishment of their sin and giving them new life through his death. And all that believe in him are in a process now of being restored to the image and this is what glory will be for us, that we will be who we were meant to be, that we will be people who bear the image and likeness of God forever and ever and be in paradise with him. That was God's plan, and that plan will be accomplished through Jesus Christ, right? That's the great story. We will be like him. We'll be like him. What was Jesus like? Jesus didn't, he didn't rise from the dead as a spirit. Put out of your mind that you're going to be a spirit floating through heaven forever and ever. I don't know about you, but I hear that and I think, boring. 
You're not going to be a spirit floating around through the sky. What was Jesus like when he was resurrected? He was Jesus, but he was different. But he was the same Jesus, not a spirit. He had a glorified body. And we are going to be like him. We're not going to be God as he is God, but we're not going to be immaterial spirits. We will be like him. And friends, right now, know this. There is a glorified man standing at the right hand of God. And that's what you and I will be. When Christ comes, our spirit and our bodies will be changed in an atom of time. And we will become glorified human beings made in the image of God like Jesus forever and ever. That is paradise. We will be like him. But you know, I love this. We will see him. Isn't that beautiful? We'll see him as he is. Now you've got to understand, John's the last of the apostles. They're all dead. Except John. And he is tired of people talking about his Jesus and lying about his Jesus. He has seen Jesus. He saw Jesus come out of that wilderness of tempting by the devil. He heard John the Baptist say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He started following Jesus. He ate with Jesus, slept with Jesus. He put his head on Jesus' shoulder. He took care of Jesus' mother until she passed away. He was there on the mountain of transfiguration where His divine being came through the body of Jesus. He saw the glorified Jesus. He was one of the 11 standing there on Cape Mount of Olives when Jesus went up back to heaven like a rocket. And the angel said, you men of Galilee, why are you standing there gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus you've seen taken up from you in heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. This same Jesus is coming back. And I want to tell you, friends, John was longing to see him again. He was longing to see him again. And that is the hope that's in the heart of everyone who's been saved by Jesus' grace who's known his redemption, his forgiveness, is to see the one who bears in his body the marks of his suffering for us. To see him. This is the hope of all believers. We have the same hope that Job had. Job didn't understand about Jesus. But Job lived centuries before even Moses and Abraham. As far as we know, Job is the oldest recorded story in the Bible. In human history. And what was it that man longed for? Here's what he longed for. Job 19 verse 26. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Friend, we're going to see him. We're going to see Jesus. It's going to happen. We will see Jesus 
What's the song say? We will see Jesus just as they saw him. There is no greater promise than this. When he returns in power and glory, we will see Jesus just as he is. That is our anticipation. And that changes everything. Guess what it becomes? Look at verse 4, verse 3. It becomes our motivation. It becomes our motivation. Why are we motivated to serve God? Well, do you serve God because He'll get you if you don't? Is that the motivation? Well, you know, there's a law. You better serve God. It's the law. Is there not a higher motivation than that? Can you imagine? You know, in just a few days, it's going to be my wife's birthday. And you know what I've been thinking? Got to get her a present. It's the law. (laughs) Who made this law? How many times have I done this? You got to do it. I hope you know. I'm not being serious because my wife is here, I think. And I'm. (laughs) Why am I going to give her a gift on July 11th? Because it's expected? Because I have to? Because the law says I've got to? No, I'm crazy about her. I love her. I love her with all my heart. And it's the joy to do something for her. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you have to do something for Jesus because he might get mad if you don't? Do you have to serve Jesus because there's a law written someplace? What a sad way to live. No, we we get to serve Jesus because it's Jesus we serve. He's the love of our heart. And you see... We're going to be like him someday. We're going to see him. That's our hope. And guess what that hope does? That hope produces holiness. Yeah. Love of Jesus produces holiness. A hope to see him and be like him produces holiness. Holiness is a good word, folks. Don't let people make you think that holiness is a bad word. How could it be bad when God says that he is what? Holy. Holiness is not negative. Holiness is being positively negative. Holiness is being positively negative. What do I mean? Holiness is turning from sin, turning from what is meaningless and has no purpose, turning from that and turning to Jesus. It's positively negative. Paul said to the Thessalonians, You in faith and because of your love for Jesus, you turn from idols. You turn from idols to serve the true and living God. Now, this is what John is saying. This is John's theme in verses four through ten. He says, if you have the love of Jesus Christ in your heart, you're going to turn away from sin. Why? Because you not only are called a Christian, you are a Christian. 
It's not just a term. What's the verse one say? Now we are the children of God and we bear his name. Once after a battle led by the great Greek conqueror, Alexander the Great, one of his soldiers was brought before him who had fled in the battle, who had fled from the fight. He had deserted and he was captured and he was brought to stand before Alexander. And the young soldier fell to his face and he begged for forgiveness. He said, I'm a good soldier. I don't know what happened. Please, majesty, please forgive me. Please give me another chance. And Alexander was touched by the young man's tears and he pardoned him. The young man got up with such relief and joy and started to walk out of the room. And Alexander called after him and said, young man, I forgot to ask you, what is your name? And the young soldier turned and smiled and said, well, my name is the same as your name. My name is Alexander, too. And Alexander the Great leapt off of that throne and pointed his finger and said, soldier, change your name or change your behavior. Change your name or change your behavior. We have been named by the name of God, the name of Christ. And friends, we need our behavior to reflect that. You see, John says here, sin is serious. He says sin is serious. Verses 4 through 10, we do not have time to open this up this morning. But John says the deepest things about what sin is. He says these things quickly. Number one, he talks about sin and its substance. What is sin? What's the substance of sin? Sin and its substance. Look at verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now listen carefully. The word sin means to miss the mark. It means to violate the standard. Lawlessness means no law. Rebellion. What is sin? It's living a life that willfully does not live under God's standards, but says, I'm a law to myself. That's what sin is. Sin is lawlessness. And friend, sin is violating God's law. God's law. Not poles. Not opinions. Not shifting culture. But the law is of God, His standard. And sin is living in lawlessness. That's what sin is. Sin is defined. Sin is violating God's law, His truth. And he says sin is serious. It's serious because the false teachers were saying it's not serious. They were saying, hey, it's all about spirit. You know, your spirit's free 
And now you grow in this spiritual awareness, your body, your body doesn't matter. Do whatever you want with your body. It's all about your spirit. It's all about your spirit. You know, Christ, he knows that you've got the Christ spirit. You and Christ, you're good. Do what you want to do. Go where you want to go. Say what you want to say. Live how you want to live. It's just the body. That's what the false teachers were saying then. But John says, no, sin is lawlessness and sin is something connected with the Savior and what he, can, he came to do. Look at sin and the Savior, verses 5 to 7. You know that he, that is Jesus, appeared in order to take away sin, bear it away. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him, that is anyone who has a relationship with him, keeps on sinning. That is practicing sin. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or really known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. You see, the sin is something Jesus came to Take away. He came to bear it away. And if we are believers, he's borne our sins away from us. We're not perfect. We're not yet. But someone who says that they are a Christian, that they've known the love of God and that they know Jesus. And yet they live in what Jesus came to take away. That's a contradiction. Someone who knows Jesus cannot constantly live in what Jesus came to take away. Sin and its substance. Sin and the Savior. Then sin is connected with Satan. Verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Where did sin begin? It didn't begin in God. God is light and him is no darkness at all. Sin began in the heart of the highest of the angels, Lucifer, the shining one. The sin of pride was hatched in his heart and led to the rebellion against God. The devil is connected with sinning and the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. That means to take away their authority. Jesus came to overcome the enemy and to take away his authority over his people. Friends, listen carefully. Satan has no legal authority over you if you're a Christian, he has power. He has incredible subtlety and he is a deceiver. But Satan cannot make you do anything. He has no legal authority if you're a Christian because of Christ. Number four, sin doesn't go with the seed of God. Look at verse number nine. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed. That is God's nature 
abides in him. We've been born of God. Life has been produced in us and we have the life of God. And we cannot keep on sinning. We cannot be unchanged because we've been born of God. If someone's been born again, things change. Things change because we've been changed. And lastly, sin is connected with the sons of God and the sons of the devil. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. That is, who still belongs to the devil and who now belongs to God. It's made evident. How is it made evident? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Someone who says, I'm I'm born of God, but they don't live in a new life. Uh, they, They still live the way they used to. They practice their life the same way they used to. That person has not known God and is yet in darkness and a child of the devil. And no one can be filled with hate and know God. For God is love. Friends, what is God's law? God's law is love. Here's a question for you. If you love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, how many more laws do you need? See, that's the law. And we have been born of God so that we love him back. He loves us. We love him back. And we love for him. 